Be some Canadian jokes from this corner. I, I just, I know it, so I'm, I'm prepared for it. But um, no, it's, it's a joy to teach uh, this morning. And I was just thinking just how thankful I am for this class. And um, you guys have been a joy to, um, to lead as part of the leadership team. Uh, your hunger for the word and uh, just your encouragement to me that you've allowed me to practice on you guys with some teaching. And I know that's not always uh, uh, great to listen to, but uh, you guys have always been super gracious uh, to me and have been, always been encouraged and uh, just uh, joyed. It's a joy to teach. So um, as Tim said, we're going to be going through um, uh, the book Respectable Sins by Jerry Bridges. Um, Thank you, Tuck, for, for teaching last week. If you've been just meditating on your own conversion story this past week, you're going to be, be set up well to, to dive into this study. Um, uh, Tuck said he was, he was building a bridge from, from Thanksgiving to this, so it's, it's a bridge to bridges, if you will. So um, thank, thank you, Tuck. That was, that was so helpful because today we're going to be talking about our, our identity as saints so that requires we go back and, and rehearse uh, what the Lord has done for us. And so that identity helps us in the fight against sin. Um, if any of you in the back can't hear me, just let me know. I'm, I'm more than willing to put on a microphone uh, if that would be helpful. But I'll try to speak loud enough to, to not need the microphone. So um, we're going to be in this study for... For nine, nine weeks uh, is what we're shooting for. It may go longer if we, if we get into a topic that we need to flesh out more. We, we can do that. We can take as much time as necessary. Um, thankful to the Lord for Bobby. He's uh, m- um, made himself available and willing to, to help me with this, this teaching. So we're going to kind of tag team it and um, uh, just, just look forward to what the Lord has for us uh, through this book. How many, by the way, have read this book before? Or listen to it. Okay, many of you. Good. Um, you don't need to go out and buy this book. I mean, I mean it would be a helpful resource. Um, if you have the book, it would be helpful to, to read ahead um, what we'll be studying next week, and that'll just um, fuel our discussion. And, and I would like this to be, be a little bit more give and take, a discussion. Uh, we'll be asking some questions, and um, I'd like to hear, hear your thoughts, um, especially those of you that have gone through the book. I'm sure you'll be um, refreshed by it again. Um, and I've not read a lot by Jerry Bridges, um, but um, you run into people in the church that are so enthusiastic about his writing because it's been so helpful to them. And they're like, oh, yeah, I love, I love Bridges. And, and having gone through this book, I can understand why, because he is... Uh, uh, simple and straightforward in his writing style, um, but he really unpacks um, profound truths in, in a way that's very accessible. So it's a book you can put in anybody's hands and they're going to be able to grasp it. So um, he's been very helpful um, to the church. Um, he died in, in 2016, but um, we're studying his book today and they're still widely circulated in the church. Uh, but when I was studying to teach these lessons, I always like to just figure out who, who the author is. So I did, did a little bit of digging into the man, Jerry Bridges, and uh, uh, a man who co-authored some books with Jerry and was a personal friend of his wrote a, wrote a touching tribute to him um, at the time of, of his death, and, and he shared this story. Jerry would not want us to put him on a pedestal. One time he was called, I was, he, one time he called from an airport to ask for prayer. 
He was distraught, and I was confused. He was upset with himself for being anxious at the baggage claim. Yes, he was serious. His anxiety proved he didn't trust God, and that was sin, and he didn't tolerate it. I'm no Jerry Bridges, but like so many others, I'm inspired by his example. So Bridges was obviously a man whose, whose character backed up his writing, and I know there's, there's a lot I can learn from, from a man such as that, and um, he'll, he'll point us to what Scripture says about our sin and, and how we can mortify it. Session one is just called uh, Facing Up to the Truth. And um, it's uh, facing up to the truth of a better identity is, is the first chapter that we're going um, to cover. But before we get to the first chapter, let's just introduce the topic. Um, what are respectable sins? You can see I put it, I put it in quotation marks. The, the title is, is supposed to be provocative because we, we all know the Sunday school answer that they're are no respectable sins. Um, all sin is sin, um, equally damning. Um, there's different levels of seriousness of, of seriousness of sin. I mean, we all know that. Um, obviously, a, a lustful look is different than adultery, but but all sin is is um, <coughs> defiance of God, um, our Lord and Creator. So, um, all sin is serious, um, but. Those of you that have read the, read the book before, what, what's kind of just a succinct definition you would give to uh, respectable sins? Yeah, Bobby. Uh, just take a stab. I, I think it's you know, some sins that have become so commonplace that we uh, either dismiss them or forget about the fact that they are so heinous. Mm, that's good. Any others? Any other? Yes, Mindy. Are, like, easy to mm-hmm. Yeah, minimization is a big, big part of that. Yes. Anyone else? Yes. Sins that just like respectable Christians, I guess, allow to operate in their lives without really seeing anything wrong with them. Right. You can look great from the outside, but have these on the inside. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. I use the words minimize and tolerate in my definition. This is the definition um, I gave it, and I'm uh, borrowing from Bridges. By the way, this material is is I'm basically following the the pattern um, from the book, so um, I don't claim it as my own. But um, from the way uh, Bridges described it, I just kind of cobbled together uh, a, a definition. Respectable sins are subtle sins I tend to minimize and tolerate in my own life. And the word subtle is, is one that he uses over and over again. Subtle as opposed to overt. So if a, if a man um, stops at the bar on his way home from work and he gets drunk, uh, when he walks through the door at home, his sin is evident to everyone, to his wife, to his children, maybe to the cop that followed him into his driveway. It's, it's overt. But what if he comes home through the door after a day of work and he's filled with anxiety? His heart is full of sinful fear because 
he made a presentation at work to, to one of the company's largest customers, and, and it went terribly. Um, he got bad feedback from his boss, and now he, he feels that his job is on the line. He could lose his job. And then his, in his mind, he's going through all the, the, the scenarios of losing his job and then losing his home, and then he's thinking, and I have not saved enough money, and I, I'm, I'm going to be destitute, and he just spins in this cycle of anxiety and fear. But when his wife asks him how his day was, he says it went fine. It's a lie. Uh, she asks him how he's doing. He said, I'm good. Another lie. His sin is subtle because it's, it's not immediately evident to those around him. He may even be deceived to the extent that he doesn't see the sin. He has tolerated the pattern of sinful fear for so long that he's no longer sensitive to that sin in his life. He goes back to work, and maybe, maybe a believing co-worker uh, gently rebukes him and points out his, his sinful anxiety that he has witnessed in his life. Uh, but he responds by minimizing the sin. You know, After all, the, the presentation was awful, and he really could lose his job. He has a legitimate reason to fear and see how that that um, uh, toleration and that minimizing of the sin can, can uh, build on itself. That's what we mean by respectable sins. So that's we're going to be uh, kind of just laying the groundwork today. We're not going to get into uh, specific sins that Christians sometimes um, would call respectable sins, but we're just going to lay the, lay the groundwork today. So uh, why is it important uh, to talk about these respectable sins? Why do this study? Well, it's because these subtle sins um, hinder our walk with God. He is dishonored and displeased with our sin, and that is, is all sin. It's also um, going to harm our relationship with others. Um, any other reasons you can think of why we need to... to tackle this topic Those are the, there's many these are just a couple that I pulled out Tuck can greatly, greatly hinder our usefulness in the church yeah the patterns of sin that don't maybe don't show up on the outside so much but they're, they're destroying our character inside out right the analogy of the body so there's one one part of the body is sick with, with respectable sins then that no, no longer useful to the to the other parts of the body. Um, so yeah, definitely. Any others? Why why is this an important topic, Emmy? Right. Yeah. Yeah, we see that in the example of the guy that comes home filled with anxiety and uh, this this sinful fear that's just churning within him. He's he's lying about it. So sin never never stays isolated. And um, it grows. It, it affects others, and it grows into other other sins. How can we overcome respectable sins in our lives? So uh, it's not just enough to to point out sin. We need the encouragement and hope of the gospel to put these sins to death. Um, if you guys have been with us on on Sunday nights, uh, Clay's been doing a, a, a great job. I just so appreciate that, brother. Um, 
teaching us about growing up into maturity. That's a great uh, series. If, if you're not able to be with us on Sunday night, I would just encourage you um, go get the podcast, download it, listen to it, because that's that's just been gold. Um, just how how we go about identifying sin, uh, respectable sins or otherwise. As we said, all sin is sin, but recognizing sin and then how to put it to death, how to get help in the body. Um, if you've been waylaid by sin, um, confess it. Get help, and the body comes alongside and, and helps us um, get out of that entanglement. The good news of the gospel uh, encourages us because God has forgiven all of our sins, past, present, and future, through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And it also encourages us uh, through the promise of the power of the Holy Spirit to put sin to death in our lives. So um, we're going to get to that. Uh, Today's lesson will be kind of dark. I mean, it's going to be looking at um, what's the the ugliness of sin. um, And that'll set us up for the the good news next week of of how we go about um, fighting these sins, putting them to death. Well, chapter one of this book is is called Ordinary Saints, and uh, Jerry Bridges brings out um, Paul's uh, term for uh, people that we would not necessarily say are living like saints, but he calls them saints. The church at Corinth was all messed up, both theologically and morally. They were proud and factious. They tolerated gross immorality sued each other in court, flaunted their freedom in Christ, abused the observance of the Lord's Supper, misunderstood the purpose of spiritual gifts, and were confused about the future resurrection of believers. Yet, when writing to them, Paul addressed them as saints, 2 Corinthians 1.1, or as those called to be saints, 1 Corinthians 1.2. Let's, uh, let's turn there. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter one. Starting in verse two. To the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So what does it mean to be a saint then? Um, Well, first of all, it doesn't refer to one's character, but to a state of being. So these Christians, we may call them uh, carnal Christians or worldly Christians. They're plagued by all these sins, but Paul calls them saints. Um, Whether they're acting like that or not, the Greek word translated saint means one who is separated unto God. So it refers to a state of being. They are saints because they have been eternally loved by God. They are his elect and um, he has, has purchased them with the blood of Christ. So by their um, uh, 
being called of God, they, they are saints. Every believer, no matter how ordinary or immature, is a saint. And we don't become saints by our actions. We are made saints by the sovereign work of God. If you flip over to uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, it's a verse that's uh, familiar to you all. Second Corinthians 5.17, and we'll just read right down through the end of the chapter. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, all uh, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the, wor- the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We are new creatures because of the gospel. This is the good news that we've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And so we have the identity of, of saints. So what is the relationship between our identity as saints and our struggle with sin? If we're saints, why do we still sin? Well, Pastor Farrell's going to be expositing Romans 7. He's already into the, the chapter, and so that's going to be a great complement to this study. Um, we'll be uh, working through that alongside of, of the pastor. And uh, besides Romans 7, we can go to, to passages like Galatians 5.17 <clears throat> that describe our current struggle as saints who still sin. Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. So there's this war going on. The flesh, the old man, the principle of sin, has not gotten any better after our salvation so we have this sin hangover and the spirit is 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 at war with the flesh Paul? yes sir quick. Uh, the thing is we, we uh, um, I was going to say about the uh, identifying ourselves with our sin I'm going to wait hey, you know, yeah, we're the example of the old folks. Yeah, this is what happens. <laughs> <laughs> we have good ideas, but they don't have Well, sa- save it. When it comes back to you, I want to, I want to hear it. I don't think that's ever happened to anyone. <laughs> it's happened to me. I know that. So 2 Corinthians 5.17 that we just read, talking about the new creature that we are in Jesus Christ, that is a decisive change. It has happened. But the outworking of that change is ongoing. So it's, it's not 
It's not complete. It's progressively evident over time. And it will not be perfected in this life. It'll continue to be something we battle until the day we die. But going back to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, we see they're called saints, and then um, Paul goes into a prayer of thanksgiving. That should not be a surprise to us after Tim's series of thanksgiving. This is his pattern. Um, he calls them saints. And then he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ is greeting. And then he goes right into a prayer of thanksgiving. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. How is the identity of the Corinthians as saints tied to Paul's thanksgiving? What do you guys think after the series we did on Thanksgiving? How is the identity of the Corinthians as saints tied to Paul's Thanksgiving? Any thoughts? Is it to motivate his Thanksgiving or be the grounds of his Thanksgiving? Yeah. Yeah, I've, his his hope is not in them or in their ability, um, but in God who called them as saints. So, as Tim said, it's the grounds for his thanksgiving. Um, and where does he go next? In verse 10, you can see his next words are, Now I exhort you. So he spends the rest of the letter calling them to be what they are. They are saints by the determination of God. And so now he, he calls them to, to live uh, according to their identity. And lies we tell ourselves about our identity are often the first step to becoming entangled in sin. You might say, you know, I'm a saint. No, I, I couldn't be since I'm sinfully fearful right now about what I'm facing this week. That can't be true about me. But uh, brothers and sisters, as Tuck um, exhorted us last week, a right view of God and a right view of ourselves are the headwaters of humility. So humbly believe what the scriptures say about us. Trust in Christ and his righteousness and live a life of obedient worship. So let that truth fuel you in your, your fight against sin. Why is it important to be honest about our sins, even the respectable ones? I think uh, I think of First John, First John one, when it says that if, um, it's escaping my mind exactly right now, but yep. the idea that confessing your sin and being truthful about it, that's 
the means which God uses to mm -hmm. cleanse you of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's where I was, I was going next. The denial of sin is a denial of what Scripture says about us. First uh, John 1, 8 through 10, what you're referring to, Luke. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Proverbs 28.13 um, tells us that uh, a failure to confess leads to a barren life. Um, it says, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Um, definitely a, a, a text to keep, keep in front of me um, at all times, especially when we talk about these, these respectable sins. Chapter 2 um, is uh, addressing the disappearance of sin. How does our culture view sin? And we're not going <clears> to <throat> spend a lot of time here just because um, we're basically talking about believers uh, in the church. And so believing what the Bible says about the world, we should not be surprised that um, they are uh, lost in sin. Um, that is, by definition, what the world is. It's a, a, an opposing uh, system. But uh, one commentator uh, said this in a book that uh, was published in 1973. And no, I wasn't alive back then. I was, I was born the next year, but uh, <laughs> I definitely wasn't reading in uh, 1973. But Car Carl, Carl Menninger, in his book, Whatever Became of Sin said the very word sin, which seems to have disappeared, was once a proud word. It was once a strong word, an ominous and serious word. But the word went away. It has almost disappeared, the word along with the notion. Why? Doesn't anyone sin anymore? Doesn't anyone believe in sin? And I didn't know much about Carl Menninger, um, but I, I wanted to test his theory on the disappearance of the word. So um, I went to, to Google Books. So I don't know if you guys ever use that, that tool. I'll try to bring it up here quickly. So this is just um, books that were published between 1800 and, and 2019. And Menninger is right. <laughs> he is uh, uh, prescient in his uh, commentary. But... Uh, in 1973, it was about at its lowest point ever about sin uh, being in any published works. Sin, sinful, and uh, sinner comes in last of all. So, um, yeah, so what, what changed over that time? What, what has um, uh, happened in our world that they don't really talk about sin much anymore? Um, But we shouldn't be surprised at what we see in the culture around us. Um, but mostly as, as Americans in this class, um, I think we're mostly Americans. I'm American. Is my, 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 accent, my accent may, may uh, lead you to believe something else, but I'm as American as apple pie. I'm just telling you. <laughs> 
So I think we're mostly American. Gus, are you American? You're not an American. Okay. So I guess we're mostly Americans in this room. But it's what's probably shocked us more than anything over the past several years is just how fast our culture has moved away from um, the Judeo-Christian ethics on, on which it was founded. And so we've kind of been running off the fumes of that, you could say, uh, for a while. But it seems like uh, just recently we've, we've turned a corner and we're just going faster and faster uh, away from that. And one example in our culture um, of this rapid change, um, I took from one social commentator who, who pointed to presidential politics. So, um, Mark, do you remember Gary Hart? So I must have been like a political nerd when I was a kid because I remember this in 1987. So I, what was I, 12 or 13? But I remember this story of, uh, so in 1987, it was reported that Colorado Senator Gary Hart had been having an affair with a young woman and he was forced to drop out of the presidential race. So he was in the Democratic primary and he was actually leading uh, the Democratic uh, candidates that were, were going for the nomination. But this story broke, and there was um, uh, some innuendo, and, and he was forced to drop out of the race as a Democrat. Fast forward to 1998, and uh, the Drudge Report broke the story that Bill Clinton had been having an affair with intern Monica Lewinsky. And Bill Clinton was badly damaged by the scandal, uh, but he survived. He survived it as the Democratic Party rallied around him and the public decided that his private behavior was not relevant to the job. Fast forward to, to 2016, and NBC tried to pull uh, an October surprise on, on Donald Trump. You know what the October surprise is? Right before the, the election in November, there's a story they've been holding and then they release it. So Donald Trump was... Um, uh, NBC released this this audio tape of him on the set of Access Hollywood saying crude things about women. And that was really about a 48-hour blip of a scandal, and he went on to win in November. So it seems that from the outside, we would say morality doesn't really matter anymore. The standards of our culture are, are really now more ideological and that is where hatred for the church is ramping up. As we hold to biblical, biblical morality and truth, um, persecution is, is bound to increase. So our, in our society, there really are no moral sins anymore. The, the sins are sins of ideology. And so um, that seems to be where the, the persecution is, is coming from. So enough about our cultural view of sin um, how does the Bible define sin well 1 John 3 4 uh, says sin is lawlessness um, as we just heard in, in the, the sermon this morning um, the believer has, has a new relationship to the law so the church is not subject to the Mosaic law but we are now under the law of Christ it's not we're without law, it's we're under a new law. And it's centered on the imperative to love, to love God and to love neighbor. And um, that's fleshed out uh, further by the, the commands of the New Testament. So we're getting a good 
a good helping of that in uh, our Sunday morning sermons. Um, and as saints, we are no longer slaves to sin. Going back to um, the exposition in, in Romans 6, we now have the power to choose to obey God and to resist the temptation to sin. You can go back and review your notes from Romans 6, 11 through 14 to, to see that. So why is this important? Why is it important that we have a biblical understanding of sin? Well, seeing sin from God's perspective will help us to take it seriously. I'm going to quote from uh, Bridges here. Um, I think I have that on the next slide, yes. The Apostle Paul, in stressing the need to seek justification by faith in Christ alone, quoted from the Old Testament, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Galatians 3.10. That is a perfectly exacting standard of obedience. In academic terms, that means a 99 on a final exam is a failing grade. It means that a misplaced comma in an otherwise fine term paper would garner an F. Now, happily, Paul goes on to assure us that Christ has redeemed us, that is, all who trust in him as their redeemer, from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. But the fact remains that the seemingly minor sins we tolerate in our lives do indeed deserve the curse of God. Again, as we heard this morning, um, God's standard um, is perfect obedience to his law. And we know that that is impossible. That's humanly impossible. Every person has uh, fallen short of the glory of God. And also, uh, I think a biblical view of sin will also fuel thankfulness in the redeemed. Um, Jesus Christ has satisfied the penalty for our sin. Praise the Lord. So, um, again, go back to that, that list that uh, Tim handed out to us of how to, how to practice thankfulness. And um, top of the list, obviously, is, is the fact that we are redeemed um, from slavery to sin. Uh, we now have a new master, and uh, we are free to, to live righteously. A couple more minutes here. We'll try to, try to get through chapter 3. And that's just uh, um, pointing us to the malignancy of sin or facing up to the truth of what sin does. And Bridges uses the analogy of cancer to describe how respectable sin can grow undetected and cause incredible damage and ultimately death if it is not confessed and repented of. He calls sin spiritual and moral malignancy. Cancer and malignant are scary words. And when we... Uh, when we hear them in a medical diagnosis, we can be tempted to fear. However, do we take the cancer of indwelling sin, even of respectable sins, as seriously? This principle of sin, what Paul calls the flesh, is such a reality that he sometimes personifies it in, in passages like Romans 7, 8 through 11, where we're going next in our Sunday morning uh, exposition. And then also uh, Galatians 5.17, which we've, we've also covered this morning. 
if you if you were to uh, get a cancer diagnosis this week, I, I believe you would take radical action as soon as possible to to destroy it, and and rightfully so. Um, I recently had uh, cancer. <laughs> it's very very minor, but um, skin cancer identified on my neck. So it was not serious. They caught it very early. It was just in the the top layer of skin, and so I got it cut out. That's why I have a, a scar on my neck. But it would have been foolish for me just to walk away from that and just just nonchalant and just not address what was, was growing on my neck. Um, it, it could have grown into other tissues. It could have um, uh, become malignant and gone to other parts of my body. So to, to know it's there and to do nothing about it, we would say, is, is foolishness. But do we take the same radical action against the cancer of indwelling sin that we all carry? It would be a sad thing to have cancer growing unchecked in your body and to die physically because of it, but that doesn't compare to a life of unconfessed and unrepentant sin that can damn your soul for eternity. There's, there's no, you can't equate those. And that's why this is, this is such a serious topic. What are some of the consequences of sin? Well, here's just a few. Uh, death for the unrepentant. That's eternal death. Romans 6.23 and Ephesians 2, 1-3. Uh, it damages others around us. Uh, Ephesians 4.29 talks about unwholesome words and how they, they damage uh, those around us. Um, as Tuck said, uh, ineffectiveness in the church and ministry. A good example that, that Bridges brings out is the respectable sins of discontentment and unthankfulness. He says, if I complain about the difficult circumstances of my life, I impugn the sovereignty and goodness of God and tempt my listener to do the same. In this way, my sin metastasizes into the heart of another person. You see how that you listen to somebody and you listen to somebody sin in this way and then all of a sudden your thinking can change. You can be deceived into thinking, yeah, that's, that, that's wrong. You know, that, that's how sin metastasizes in the church. And then there's also the guilt and shame of, of living in secret sin, how that uh, waylays you, um, makes you ineffective for, for ministry. Um, any other thoughts? Other consequences of, of sin that come to mind, tolerating these these respectable sins. Mm-hmm. Yep. We're explain that. We're body and spirit, yeah. and and they, uh, yeah, Isn't there is a connection there. Yeah, his bones. Yeah, yeah, definitely a physical.